And we are live. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Podcast at Ground Zero, your home of the apocalypse, for Podcast at Ground Zero, episode 58, Red Markets. I am Jared the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace. He is Adam Bomb Glancy, and we have a, a third face in here this week. It, it, oh, God, I'm going to get it wrong again. Caleb Stokes. Yay. Got it, Thanks got it for right. having me on. Uh, oh, I love the show, so this is kind of me nerding out here. <laughs> oh, excellent. Thank you, and uh, thank you for your patience with me, your name, because you've heard me say a hundred times before, I'm terrible with names. So oh, No problem. So I, so I got it right. So, okay, this week we... Hey, you got, got mine wrong. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. So there's some consistency there. Did I get it wrong? Adam Bong you said, you said glan, glanzy or something as it came out of your mouth. Oh, so, I don't know. You know, I'm slurring my words here. You know, it's 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 uh, the radiation. I think you in the just air. said slurring your lurds. Did you slur your lurds? I, I did you get, Are you in the bag? Did you get tanked before the broadcast? I think I did. Uh, my my tongue is swollen and I can't talk very well. So um, it, it could be the it could be the uh, centipede uh, that bit you on the back of the neck. That the radioactive centipede might be it. It could be. So again, he is he is at a bomb glancy, folks. So, hey. All right. So um, uh, before we get oh, again this week, we're going to be talking about Caleb's upcoming. Uh, post-apocalyptic zombie role-playing game that's going to be coming out called Red Markets. So we're going to talk about that here in just a second. And yes, to answer anybody's questions, some people posted how they thought that, uh, oh my God, we're glad you're back. We thought you were dead. No, we don't. We just pulled one of our standard disappearing acts and uh, you know closed the uh, the vault doors real tight because you know we were afraid to come out. So, but <laughs> we've decided that you know things are all clear. So we're uh, you know. Gonna get back on track here. We promise that if we're running out of air or water in the bunker, or the mutants have breached the outer defenses, we'll send one last message before the lights go out. <laughs> you'll you'll know. We'll tell you when we're dead. We'll, yeah, and, we, we promise to tell you when we're dead. And I'm sure that message will have a lot of screaming and crying. You know. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it. Uh, but uh, so uh, we're gonna talk about uh, uh, red markets today. Uh, just a couple things because. What we're going to be able to do, and I'm going to post this to Scott on air, is a future show coming up because in a couple of weeks I'm going to be heading out to Arizona. So I'm going to be in Arizona, and one of the things I'm going to do when I'm out there is go to the Titan Missile Museum, which is uh, south of Tucson. So I'm going to take pictures about that, and, I th and, and also I realize that Meteor Crater is outside of Flagstaff. So I'm going to try to get by Meteor Crater as well because, you know, Meteors can cause the apocalypse, so I'm going to get, try to get some pictures uh, and go see Meteor Crater as well. So what I'm going to want to do is, uh, one of the future shows is talk about uh, my trip to the Titan Missile Museum, because also then me and Scott could talk about our trip to the Titan 1 Missile mu Mission Museum, the Titan 1 Missile Silo out in Odessa, Washington that Scott and I visited, oh God, four, no wait, five years ago. We've never actually put up all the uh, photographs like in a show and just showed the photographs of the interior, have we? No, but I'll, I'll work up. Before we do that, I'll work on getting uh, like a Pinterest page set up with all the photos from the from the trip. Cool. And, uh, and we'll get we'll get that going, and we'll talk about that. Because I'll talk about the Mission Museum. We can talk about our trip because the Titan One silos had three silos, and they're about forty-five thousand square feet of uh, space there. 
So it was a yes, it's abandoned since the '60s. It's rusty, tight, dangerous. So we'll we'll talk about that. I'll talk about my visit to the museum there. So that's what we're talking about as an upcoming show. Um, but also, I like I want to put this out there to our audiences. Something I was kicking around, uh, and I put it to Scott. And he's behind it. Is we now that Left 4 Dead 2 is now backwards compatible for the Xbox One, I can now access it and play it again. So because uh, I don't, as I got rid of my 360 a while ago. Um, so what I would like to do is have a game with me, Scott, and we would like to get two viewers who would be interested in playing Left 4 Dead 2 with me and Scott. And what we'll do is um, I've, I have a Twitch account set up, and what I'd like to, what I'd like to do is I got to make sure I know how to use it, but play uh, the Left 4 Dead 2 and then broadcast it, you know, through Twitch, and then that records and we can post it later. So. Um, if anybody's listening to this and they have any kind of interest and in, they'd want to play, so I don't, we have no dates set up or anything, but I'm kind of testing everybody's interest to see if they would like to play Left 4 Dead with me and Scott. I'll, I'll have to try and sell Jared on this idea, but I want to, I want to set up something so whoever scores the highest gets to pick the, <laughs> get to pick the topic for the next week. If anyone, whoever kills the most zombies during the game or something, or whoever, whoever survives to the end gets to pick the topic for the next week. I, I, don't, I don't know if I could get behind that. So <laughs> <laughs> You're just afraid that somebody's going to pick My Little Pony, and you're going to have to put a gun in your mouth <laughs> to get out, of, get out of reviewing the post-apocalyptic aspects of My Little Pony. No, I'm, no, I'm going to have to pull a Jay and Silent Bob where they... Uh, Go to these people's houses. Are you such and such online? Is such and such? And just like hit them, you know, like they did. Yeah. In, uh... yeah, it's funny how that seems so satisfying now. How old is that damn movie? You uh, know, I, I I can't believe that uh, you know that they made a joke ten years ago, and now it's like even fucking more pertinent than it ever was. <laughs> you know, go figure. People got didn't get to be better; they got to be worse the more access they had to each other. Oh uh, yeah, what it's a shock! Good. It's surprising. Not. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so I'm going to kind of put that out there to the audience, and then I'll probably post something onto the blog and ask people and say, like, okay, we are now going to see who wants to play and try to see if we get anybody, and then we'll set something up, and we'll, uh, we won't do it as a show, but it's something we would like to do as an event, and we'll, we'll, we'll broadcast it on Twitch when we do it and then record it, and we can, we'll post it onto the uh, blog so if people, you know, because apparently... A lot of pe people make a. Apparently, people have monetized Twitch, and people make money because people like watching people play games. I don't know how the fuck that works. Uh, <laughs> I don't have time. I don't have time to play games anymore, much less watch people play them. That's depressing. Uh, exactly. Oh, look at that guy having fun with Fallout 4, which I haven't been able to buy yet. You know. Oh, I oh, dude, I got. Uh... I'm probably creeping up on 300 hours at this point. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Hey, but I'm not I, surprised. I'm not even close to being done. <laughs> well, especially since Far Harbor came out, you know. So Far Harbor came out, and I went to Far Harbor and talked to all the salty fishermen that were at Far Harbor, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah. came back. I haven't finished. It's just, oh, this, they came out with this. Because it's always like, oh, that's cool. I want to try this. I want to try this. Oh, that's neat. It, oh, it's, I haven't beat the main quest yet. Oh, neither, neither have I. It's, yeah, I'm not even close. Yeah. Oh, especially when I'm trying to grind, you know, because it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, now all of a sudden 
aluminum and or like <laughs> you know it used to it used to be adhesive and something else was really important. Now it's like oh my god, I need rubber because now that uh, Auto, Automatron came out, now I need rubber to build my robots. Oh my god, I can't get enough rubber. It's always like something is the the lacking resource. But anyway, yeah. so. Anyway, folks, I'll post something about uh, trying to play Left 4 Dead with uh, Left 4 Dead 2 with us uh, uh, after this. Not now, but later on. Get, see if we can get any interest on that. So, uh, let's get into the, the crux of the show here. Is we have Caleb on. Caleb, are you the sole creator of the Red Markets uh, uh, RPG? Was it uh, just yourself? Just uh, me, yeah. Uh, okay. We're bringing other people in for editing and art and uh, layout and all that stuff. But I am the sole writer and designer, so... Okay, well, actually, you know what? More importantly, for folks who don't know who Caleb is, Caleb, give us a, an elevator pitch of who you are. Well, hi, I'm Caleb Stokes. Uh, I'm a pretty regular co-host at Role Playing Public Radio, RPPR. Uh, I'm the author of No Security, Horror Scenario, Horror Scenario Set in the Great Depression, um, No Soul Left Behind, which is a campaign book for Better Angels, and uh, a number of freelancing gigs I've done for both Arc Dream and uh, post-human studios, the guys who do Eclipse Phase. Very good. So you got a little bit of a pedigree going there. That's cool. Cool. Very nice. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Uh, uh, post-human studios and their um, uh, Eclipse Phase has definitely got a post-apocalyptic feel to it. Uh, oh, even, if, even if it is the entire solar system that they wrecked, as opposed to just one planet. <laughs> okay, the cat is now trapped in my uh, headphones. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> That's working out great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Django. You're a lot of help. Yeah. Aww. There you go. Aww. Puts a stink right on me. So that the internet smiles. So that everyone knows who who's human I am. There you go. <laughs> oh, one, one, of our, uh, one of our followers, Daniel uh, Puckett, said that My Little Pony is an apocalypse onto itself. You guys could skip that one. I, I agree. <laughs> Uh, anyways, um, all right, so, so uh, let's move along. So we know who J Caleb Stokes is. Caleb, what is Red Markets? Uh, Red Markets is a game of economic horror where the world has ended but the rent is still due. Uh, so the basic premise is that the apocalypse happens, but like everything in capitalism, it is unevenly distributed, and you just so happen to luck out to get the most of it. Um, so in uh, the, the Red... most of the apocalypse or the most of the leftovers, uh, the both actually uh, okay. they, they coincide. So uh, in the world of Red Markets, there is a zombie apocalypse in a world that no zombies exist and has all the zombie fiction that we do. Uh, so it leads to something what I call in the settings the Romero effect, which is people know to shoot for the head and that bites are bad, but they're also insanely overconfident about how well they can do those things. Um, so it leads to a partial downfall of society. Um, society does survive and many nation states survive, as does the global economy, but only in sections. Uh, so in the setting, that's called the recession. So the remains of the United States recede behind the Mississippi River. Uh, uh, to the east, uh, and they basically blow the bridges and then fortify the thinner parts where you can kind of wade the, up near uh, Michigan and whatnot uh, with walls, and they just focus on clearing out the eastern seaboard because, you know, at most you have two living people with any military experience in America at all, not to mention active duty. You don't have enough to take over that much landmass. So they recede behind these borders, and everyone else is left behind. Um, now, according to the government, those people are all declaimed homo secor, 
the accused man because even if grandma survived, they don't want you going over there getting infected and destroying mankind. Uh, right, so, by bringing the infection back on the other side of the wall. So they basically say that uh, it doesn't matter if grandma made it and she's the king of her own raider group. Uh, she's not coming back over. She is disenfranchised. She's dead. She doesn't exist any longer in a society. Don't try and break quarantine. Uh, so in red markets, you play people on the wrong side of the divide. You're takers. Uh, but the fault of the matter is, is even though the government has declared that, doesn't stop people from wanting things, and that doesn't stop human corruption. So eventually the zombies will rot away. They will be able to reclaim the country. They will be able to take over the world. And then you have to deal with all sorts of questions like, who gets to inherit what? How do we redraw districts for taxes? How do we redraw districts for elections? Who died? Who was a refugee? Who did this? They didn't have a time to take a census during the chaos. Um, and guess who has a monopoly on all that information? Your unlucky ass. Uh, so you sell that back to them. You sell financial carrion, uh, salvage and rights and deeds and proof of death to the government in what is called a red market, which is a market that's so taboo there aren't actually laws against it because it's not a black market because what you do isn't illegal because you're dead. You can't do anything illegal. Um, but you trade those things for things you need in the zombie apocalypse because you've got three years till most food has gone bad. Uh, you've got four till most medicine expires, even the hardiest antibiotics. Uh, and uh, you, no man is an island. Uh, Self-sufficiency is a myth, uh, so you trade with other enclaves of survivors, and uh, you trade with the recession in the government, uh, and you live in the loss in the area of the country written off as a loss. Um, but as takers, uh, as the people of the group, you're not content to wait for the government to come get you, because you know if you get enough during this gold rush in the carrion economy, uh, you can buy your way out of it. So you're going to get rich or you're going to die trying. So you're the crazy bastards that instead of farming potatoes for the rest of your life, jump the fence and go on these big, risky, insane jobs in this hellscape in which you live. Um, so if I had to give you an elevator pitch, it's basically a poverty simulator, but with some respectful distance from people actually suffering from that scenario uh, through the traditional nerd trope of zombies. <laughs> now okay. Now, I am going to say a couple of things that you mentioned early on, which I think are very, which a lot of people don't really address, is you, you talked about how in your in your world, yes, zombies do exist. People are aware of zombies, okay? Because as in most zombie apocalypses, oh, what's a zombie? We don't know what a zombie is, so people don't know what zombies are, and that's why things go south, because they don't know what it is, they don't know what they're dealing with. And you mentioned how people know about zombies, and he said that they're overconfident, cocky, it was like, oh, we're all prepared, you know, all these preppers are like, I'm preparing for zombies, and everybody thinks they know what they're going to do, but like you said, they're overconfident, and they, they, they fuck up, and that's why things collapse as well. I think that's a really interesting take that I don't think we've ever, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing anybody talking about that in either a, um, no, a game I, I, or, even, or even a book. You know? I always want there to be a thing where, um, well, yeah, the closest thing is is um, Return of the Living Dead. You know, hit it in the hit it in the brain, hit it in the brain. I got the fucking brain. You know, was it? You mean the movie lied? I think that was sort of the classic line from Hit the Return Brain. Of the Living Dead. I hit the fucking brain. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, there's this great trilogy called the News Flesh Trilogy by Mira Grant. That's a zombie yeah. trilogy, and it's about uh, it's about basically internet journalists after a near apocalypse in which zombies exist. 
Uh, and like that's the only book I've ever read that does that. But like they make George Romero a saint. They put statues of him up in cities because he's the only reason anybody lived through it. Uh, like they do all sorts of crazy stuff. But I think about it from my perspective. Like remember the no, face he, eating. He, he becomes like Saint John the Divine. He was it was yeah. a prophecy. Yeah, he was the prophet who he knew. Brought it was the message to warn us. <laughs> it's a great series. You should read. Uh, but anyway. Um, so I thought about like stuff like remember the homeless guy eating the other dude's face, the whole bath oh the salt bath salts sort of yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. and like how you look at when you look at that statistically like anytime there's any kind of cannibalism or near cannibalism or anything, clickbait news journalists throw zombie around. So I think about the fact that like I've seen every zombie movie in existence, but if CNN covered it tomorrow, I still wouldn't believe it. Because it's clickbait crap. Like, if the homeless guy was a crazy face-eating monster, I'd be like, meh, and I wouldn't pay attention until it busted down my door. Like, uh, so I think it's a double-edged sword, like, knowing how they work. Well, that's certainly yeah. how we've we've pushed uh, our, you know, what do you do about the supernatural when everyone's got a, a, a camera on their phone, right? Yeah. Um, but that's how we pushed it in uh, Delta Green writing was, it doesn't matter what they show you on the Internet. You yeah. know, it, it, it's not going to matter until it's coming through your front door at you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Story. Well, but that's always why, that's why I keep my uh, zombie bat next to the bed, just in case, you know, so... Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, also, I, it also works on burglars, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Well, to let you know, Caleb, the, the zombie bat is um, something I did, I did a long time ago because I was bored, okay? So, <laughs> but, uh, are you familiar um, with... Um, a fish bat, like, you know, for, like, when people go deep-sea fishing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, and they bring fish on. They have these, like, short little, like, little bats, like, 18 inches to 20 a inches A trucker long. bat. Something yeah. they hold in between the seats. Yeah, yeah, and so they use it to, like, hit the fish. So I went to the local bass pro shop and got myself a fish bat, and I got an aluminum one. And what I did was I drilled a hole in the base, and then I filled it with BBs. And then I... Then I resealed the bottom of it with some JB welds, so it would be sealed. So now this light little aluminum uh, fish bat, it now weighs like I, I never weighed it, but it's got to weigh like ten pounds now. It's kind of like using like a practice sword, like practice gladius sword. You know, it's this short little bat that you have to use a lanyard for because other things gonna fly out of your hand. But let me tell you, one hit with that thing is gonna break a limb, a skull, whatever it hits, it's gonna freaking annihilate it and. I keep that next to the bed. So anyway, so yeah, I, I created it because I was bored. <laughs> well, I, think you bring up, I, I think you bring up a good point because, like, the prepper stuff, like, I, I shoot zombie targets and at the range and, you know, I, I do all that kind of stuff. And it is a fun way to do something when you're bored. Uh, but I think another thing, another side of that prepper community that you were mentioning is, like, yeah, there you go, exactly. Uh, I think another side of that prepper community is that they're using those um, – they're using those zombie metaphors to kind of justify dehumanizing people because a lot of those same prepper guys who are preparing for the zombies like yeah. have copies of Helter Skelter in their, you know... Or possibly yeah. the Turner Diaries. Yeah, or Turner Diaries or something in your house. And so really zombies... Or, or, or my struggle, you know. Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so for those people, zombies are a metaphor, as they are for everybody else. They're our modern misstructure. But for those people, like, zombies are a metaphor for the lower classes. They're, oh. they're, the fear of zombies is the same fear that the medieval aristocracy had of peasants. Like, I think the zombie 
genre would have been really popular in France around well, doesn't, the 14th, Doesn't Romero century. go back over that and say that he was seeing it as a... that the, the, the films had a kind... especially the second one had a kind of, you know, uh, peasant uprising, lower class, de devouring the upper class kind of metaphor going on, particularly in Dawn. Yeah, and so that's why it's a zombie game for me. So, like, because that's harder to sell nowadays. Like, every time somebody puts out a DTV movie called Stripper Zombies vs. Pro Wrestlers or some crap like that, it sort of, like, cheapens the brand, and there are many people who are like, zombie game, I roll, they're out. But for me, like, that's our modern misstructure, and that's the misstructure used to talk about big stuff. Gestalts, Hobbesian Leviathans, like, the whole. If I wanted to talk about sex, I'd use a vampire. And if I wanted to talk about savagery, I'd use a werewolf. But if I'm talking about being crushed by, like, the weight of history, that's a zombie for me. And considering it has an economic thing, like, I kind of like that zombies are boring and banal, and you think you know where you stand with them, and they're predictable. And they eat you anyway, because there's so many of them. Because you know what? That's what work is like. Like, if I'm a... <laughs> If I'm a crab fisherman, I know I could die at any second, or if I'm a lineman, or if I'm a roofer, but I can only maintain that fear so long because I got bills to pay. And so the roofer does not get up in the morning and imagine snapping his back, falling off. He imagines, boy, it'd be nice if I could go back to bed. So I really like a banal evil, a evil that is omnipresent and boring and will kill you anyway. Yeah, the, uh, the, the dangers we've gotten used to and just decided that we're going to accept. Yes. To get on with our lives. Yeah, and those are the most insidious. So. And back, back to what you said about with you, uh, with the preppers, and it's a metaphor for the poor and stuff. You know, we've talked about that before about the you know the crazy preppers. It's not just like, and it's not just the poor. It's kind of like, oh yeah, we're preparing for zombies, and it's like, man, I can't wait to kill all them blacks. You know, it's like they're they're just using it as an excuse so they can prepare and start killing people if anything goes wrong. You know. Yeah. Anybody that they hate, whether it's black, white, Mexican, poor, rich, whoever it is. You know. or, or at least uh, maintain the fantasy that they're going to do this, you know. Uh, oh, you can't hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, I, don't yeah. know. I don't know about... The zombie apocalypse has started. Oh, boy. <laughs> Did the zombie apocalypse start? Yeah. Uh, let me just check here. Can you guys talk? I, can you... I, can, I can hear him. I can hear him. Okay, you guys are talking. Yeah. Right. Can you hear me? I can, I can hear, hear you. you. Can you hear me now? Did somebody mute me? Can you hear me? No, no, no I can I, hear you just fine. I can hear you. I can, can hear you, you fine. Yes or no? Yes, I can if hear you. Can hear me. Scott can hear me. I can't hear you guys. Can you guys hear each other? Yes. Check your settings, maybe? You maybe it's not your going through and your headphones. Fantastic. Okay, hold on. Yep, see? Welcome to Podcast at Ground Zero, Caleb. Where it's always the apocalypse. You could just say welcome to podcast. They're they're all this way. Oh, Christ, I crutch. Okay. Um, I'm considering sending him a text message just saying, type to type, type. Um, let me continue to interview <laughs> Caleb uh, while you're fiddling around with that, and then we can fix it. <laughs> let me do that. I'm going to send okay. him a text message. All right, let's see here. Do, do, do. By the way, I'm having some of that delicious Blantons we had during your uh, Italian Al Alps game. Ah, uh, yes, Blantons. Uh, it is it is a high-end bourbon. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. It is delicious. Um, it's not on my not on my drinking list at the moment. I'm uh, I'm more in a bathtub bourbon. Oh, I got it as a gift. 
It would well, not. No. Yeah. Definitely not something I can afford. <laughs> no, me neither. All right. Let's see here. Any questions while you fix the problems. All right. See if he gets that. If not, I'm just going to start asking questions. Yes, Scott. Okay. The answer is yes. All right. I'll write okie doke. Okie doke. All right. So, um, what did you know? The, what was the inspiration, I guess, uh, for, uh, uh, for for this game? I mean, you you've mentioned the American this this modern myth of zombie as a combination of you know the hoi polloi coming to get us and uh, our fear of of uh, the poverty and homelessness that's just out of sight, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah. Was that the primary okay. thing? Or what all the things? Uh... Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay, now I can hear you. What the? Anyway, so where what we were we were now asking Caleb more about his inspirations for red mar red uh, markets. Thank so... you. What inspired the creation? Perfect. All right, so um, that uh, the the myth and the sort of the return of the other is uh, an indication, but uh, on a more practical level, um, one thing Ross and I noticed every time we played games for any length of time in a campaign um, that it would, if there wasn't like a strict tonal focus against it, say something like Delta Green, um, the PCs would always start a business of some type. They would always like start some scam on the back end or some small business or some hustle on the back end to you know, fund their characters moving forwards, uh, and it seems like a very common impulse amongst campaign groups, especially in like fantasy settings and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and then, and another thing I noticed uh, due to my uh, years of academic trading that made me a starving game designer. Uh, but one thing I got out of it uh, was that um, in reading RPGs, I noticed that they're all very strictly in this Western capitalist ideology to the point where you have like feudal settings that still have these like 400-page splat book Sears catalogs of weapons, uh, like that have that have <laughs> gear, these. Um, gear porn is very important to gamers. That's I know, big... but like that's deeply Western capitalist ideology in great. Like they all have standard gold things. Like even when they're were supposed to represent in barter economies, like an axe is always three gold. Um, you can sell them anywhere. Which like I, if I don't want my Vorpal sword because I have a plus six Vorpal sword, I can sell it to the nearest peasant town I'm in. Which is like me going to some farm in the Ozarks and giving them a Hellfire missile. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll take that off you. The mule could plow with the fins. Like, no one's gonna, no one's gonna do that. So it has these like deepest. <laughs> these Sorry. Deep, <laughs> it's not just to have it on a use for it. It's just like. What are they going to trade you for? The whole town? I mean, yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Well, apparently, apparently they have a supply of gold to buy Hellfire missiles. Come on. Because <laughs> they're peasants. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the PCs are good. So it has all this stuff about capitalism that's like pure ideology. It's, it in no way represents the way capitalism works. And I'm not going for like a simulationist thing, but um, the last thing that intrigued me other than the zombie myth and these sort of things I noticed about gaming was like, um, you know, I grew up poor and I've gone through some like serious economic straits in my life and underemployment and unemployment and stuff. And like when I hear the word capitalism, it's great when it's working for you, but like, you know, so's the guy with the trunk in when he's protecting your house and not slamming it down on your head. Like uh, <laughs> capitalism is a better system than other systems undoubtedly. 
but it doesn't change the fact that when cutthroat capitalism has your knife on your neck, it's not a source of like love and McCarthyistic American value. It's terrifying. It's insidious and like invading your whole life. So I wanted to do a game that a little more realistically represented capitalist systems, not completely, because it's not like a math sin. Nobody's going to have to do sign curves or anything to play my game. Um, but um, I so wanted to look not, more so realistically like, and the psychology of it. So. so so it's not like Aftermath or you know, Twilight <laughs> 2000? You know? No. Uh, no. Uh, it is like Twilight 2000, and then I kind of want like a five minutes into the future setting. Yeah. Uh, but in that regard, that's about it. It's not gear porny. It's not math heavy. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what the what the you know Marxist version of this would be. It would be DOS zombie or something, or you know I um, DOS quarantine. I don't know. I I I I, I, uh, I definitely smell shadows of the uh, oligarchic one percent on the guys on the other side of the the wall. As it were, are you calling it the wall? What is the thing that separates the quarantine air America from the the loss from the recession? Uh, in America, it's the Mississippi River. So okay. zombies don't swim. They don't have air in their lungs. They're not buoyant. So there's if you if you can barely walk in a straight line because you're a shambling corpse, you're not going to be able to swim. And the Mississippi works real powerful. And water is a universal solvent. Uh, even if you have magic zombie sauce that makes you decay slower, if you drop to the bottom of a river moving 50 miles an hour and you're getting graded along the gravel, it's not great for your flesh. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's, it's probably going to degrade the, the, the stiffs a little. Um, yes. Oh, yeah, because yeah, it's going to sweep them away. It's not like when, uh, what was it in... Uh, the horrible Land of the Dead movie. Land of the Dead, they walk right across the, I guess it's the Ohio River? <laughs> yeah, they're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't swim across the Ohio River and not drown. And if I trained, I couldn't swim across the Orion River and not end up four miles down river by the time I got to the other side. Yes, oh, exactly. Don't no, no, sell yourself short, come on. But, uh, <laughs> but definitely but zombies not. ain't going to do that. But, so I, but I get the idea that they're, you know, again, this idea that they can walk along the bottom of a, of a, of a river like the Mississippi. Uh, when I read um, Rising Tide, where they talked about the 1928 Mississippi River flood, the author talked about, you know, salvage operations in the Mississippi where ships would sink, uh, riverboats would sink with tons of goods on them. And the, the, the incredible ways you could die trying to get that stuff off the bottom of the river. Yeah. When it's only it's only 30 feet down. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's 30 feet down. And the river's moving at this speed and it's this temperature and the, you know uh, once you get down that deep and it was pretty impressive. Um, and if you talk about shambling zombies, like sometimes they don't even have the coordination to turn doorknobs or walk upstairs, and they're yeah. supposed to be able to like tread water, like so. Um, yeah, so it's a lot of natural borders. It's a lot of mountains. So yet again, if I only trigger off of food and I'm walking uphill and I trip, I'm more likely to turn around when I get up going downhill. And if I have no ability to track or object permanence or anything that a zombie does, like zombies are going to pool like water. They're going to go towards pavement. They're going to end up towards nat lower elevations. Uh, so they're going to end up more like so. Um, there's a lot of stuff that would keep so, a shambling zombie away. Yeah. So how's Jared doing down in Florida? As far as he in the recession? Yes, he'd be in the recession. Meanwhile, uh, not because we would not be. We would not be. No, and not because like nothing no, dude, happened in Florida, but I, in the I, setting, it's basically like the the government says 
we have this many resources and we can save this many people. So we're going to pick this half where DC is and all of us have mansions and summer homes. Um, and uh, we're going to save this half because we can. And we're not going to tell anybody we're coming. So in the setting, they try and just blow the bridges and end it. But there is, of course, a leak. Um, so there's a massive pour across the river. Um, so that's the problem with the recession. The recession is caught in a perpetual not recession, depression. It's an economic nightmare. You have uh, what's called in the setting called free parking, which is uh, these giant tent refugee cities made out of cars that don't have gas from people that poured over the border when they heard it was going down. Um, so they have too many people than they planned on for their nice America will survive utopia. Uh, and they also have a lot of anger and hatred from the populace. Uh, but at the same time, it's nothing compared to people that didn't make it, that are left on the other side and will be shot by snipers when they get there and stuff so like that. So I'm, I'm over in the loss in Seattle. Yeah, oh, you're way in the loss. You're hopelessly in the loss, yeah. You will not be getting out anytime soon unless unless you score enough uh, bounty, uh, unless you score enough to buy your way out. Well, can I just get a, can I, can I just get on a boat and then like sail up and around and into it? Or do they uh, have that guarded, the sea guard? So you can. Uh, so if you run the border, that's one thing. But running the border well, like running the border in real life, is more about bribing the right people than knowing where all the landmines are and being real fast. Uh, so it is much about, uh, so there's money. And then when you get there, you are homo sacor. You're declared dead. You need an entirely fabricated identity in order to get a job, in order to do anything. And that's for like subsistence living. Um, so the thing about the red markets is there's such this gold rush and it's a very temporary thing because the recession's on its way back up and the loss due to the grading survival demand is always on the way down. But as they meet, there's a little bit of a gold rush that if you get the right scores and sell the right financial carrion or do the right jobs to these recession people, you might get enough not only to get out and retire, you might get enough to never work again, to get all of your family over there, to buy yourself a nice secure compound uh, away from zombies and everybody else. You can escape not only the cycle of poverty, but the cycle of being middle class by being this war profiteer. So um, that's kind of where the name of takers come from. It's, it's a duel. They're referred to positively as undertakers. They are the ones that take care of the dead so we do not have to. And they're somewhat heroes in a lot of their enclaves because they go and do jobs that need to be done that no one else is crazy or brave enough to do. But they're also thieves. They're also war profiteers. They're also, they're also not willing to wait around and be potato farmers like everyone else at the enclave. Uh, they want to get out and, you know, F you got mine away from the zombies. So, so the, the only people who are capable of defending civilization are not welcome necessarily in civilization. It, yes, an old theme indeed. Okay, cool. Now, just to kind of move down the question list here a little bit. Now, I think you've already kind of answered of why the post-apocalyptic zombie theme. I think, you've, we've, think we've kind of covered that already. Uh, now, just so people know, this currently, and I don't know if you covered that when I couldn't hear you. Not um, yet. Okay. Currently, the game is not um, available for public consumption just yet. It's... Um, Right now, Caleb is trying to is, well, actually, well, actually, he did is funding the production of the game through Kickstarter. So, my so we wanted to know is why Kickstarter for uh, your project? Well, um, 
I should be clear. The game is written, and it's been play-tested through 10 iterations. Uh, and, like, the last beta, we had over 200 downloads, and it's a 225-page document. Yes, uh, one of which I gave uh, Scott there. That's complete payable rules and a truncated setting information yes. and everything else you might need to play. And that will be released to every backer uh, at $10 or above um, the second the Kickstarter meets and it's ready to go. Um, the thing I went to Kickstarter for is that um, I can afford to gamble my time writing a 400-page book uh, in my evenings. Um, but I, that doesn't mean I can afford to buy art for it, and that doesn't mean I can afford to print it. So yeah. um, the Kickstarter has been to see how much of the setting material I have outlined I can write, uh, and thanks to the phenomenal response so far, it's been all of it. So it's going to be a big honking trad game book, 8.5 by 11, sizable setting materials, uh, and you'll have enough rules to play it the second the Kickstarter meets. Uh, but the money for the Kickstarters for all of that really expensive stuff in RPG production, art, layout, editing, printing pages, uh, God willing if we get there an offset print run, that'd be really nice so I can bring it in stores and do distribution instead of pod. That would also bring the price down for everybody. Um, so that's why I went to Kickstarter. Um, the game exists and it's ready to go. I just need to add all the setting information because I know I can afford to do it now and see how much more we can get. So we've unlocked three PDF releases at this point, uh, a dedicated forum and website for the game that'll be up once it releases, uh, and we've added uh, about 80 pages to the book. Uh, so it's going to be a sizable uh, setting chapters and uh, even some advanced rules called uh, MBA rules if you really want to get down into the nitty-gritty and do like uh, quantitative easing or currency trading in zombie apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get that hardcore into it, we have rules for that too for really like lengthy long-term play. Um, so the Kickstarter has been great and the community has been great uh, to add that stuff. But that's why Kickstarter because I can write a Word document that no one will read uh, but publishing a game that people pick off of the shelf and like, oh, this looks cool, I want to do this with my players, that costs quite a bit more money than I have. Oh, yeah. You've, so got, to, you've got to tart it up. It's got to be covered in rouge and sparkly stuff in order for them to, to see, uh, you know, just by cracking a book. That this yeah. is, you know, this well, is they want. Well, you mean, uh, so So what you're trying to say is the, you mean the, the RPG publication fairy just doesn't come along and magically produce uh, role-playing games that Sadly. people can buy? You mean you mean it actually costs time, money, and effort to pay all this stuff to make it happen? <laughs> Sadly, that is true. Uh, which I which I don't think I don't think a lot of people. I'm not I'm not talking about anybody in our audience here, but uh, um, I think a lot of people don't understand that because as you know. Me and Scott could share many war well, stories. The, the news story that came across the wires recently was the poor bastards who were making this uh, multiplayer space exploration game called No Man's Sky just announced that they're going to have to push it back like two months, right, from June to, to August. And apparently this has provoked death threats from oh, their yeah. fans. You know, which, which I'm like, uh, you know, I'm... I'm not quite sure I understand the under the base logic of of I didn't get what I wanted so you should be raped and murdered. Um, well, I didn't get it in a timely manner. Because, so. because it's the modern era, Scott. Because it is an instant gratification. Why can't I have anything before you even create it? Uh, mentality. Um, <laughs> you have 
run Kickstarters, you have seen Kickstarters and back Kickstarters, because trust me, I see many Kickstarters where people are like, like, I don't know, I don't, I give anybody credit who could actually run a Kickstarter, because the whining and demanding that comes from people who are backing them are so ridiculous at, are so ridiculous at time that I would be like, okay, I'm, here, here's the next stretch goal I'm unlocking is that I'm going to come by and punch each one of you in the face because <laughs> I I am a man of little patience and cannot put up with that crap because now, it's kind of like... Now, I noticed that the, uh, the, the the expanded rewards that you're throwing out in this thing are, are, are good and digital, and I'm really happy to hear that because I think digital rewards uh, and more material like that is is the kind of thing you need to avoid mission creep so you don't run into the problems that Chaosium had with... Uh, with horror on the Orient Express or or Seventh Edition, that uh, yeah, uh, our only physical war rewards that aren't going to be fulfilled through uh, DTRPG print-on-demand printing, which is not my deal. So printing and uh, shipping will be much cheaper than if I did it myself. Uh, and then, um, or if we get a print run, it'll be through backer kit. The only physical rewards are me coming over to your house, or me running a game for you at Gen Con. Or uh, dice, and I can ship you ten dice. I can afford to do that by charging yeah. in the Kickstarter. Um, so yeah, I definitely didn't want to go to the. Uh, I, oh, man, it sucks that Chaosium's name is now synonymous with this because it's such a common Kickstarter mistake. They just did yeah. its well, biggest well, and well, most public. Um, in, in Chaosium's defense, um, they were uh, they were fuck ups in going down the tubes well before Kickstarter came around. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Fair enough, but like it's a game line I love. Like it, I mean, it sucks that we have to use it as shorthand now, but it definitely is shorthand for like catastrophic distribution failure. Oh yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Trust me, just from what I've seen and heard, you know, they were going down the tubes under Charlie Crank well before this Kickstarter thing. I know plenty of people who've done work for them and did not get paid and. Trust me, they were they were fucking up way before Kickstarter. I think the Kickstarter was just the final nail in the coffin. You know. Well, they appear to be phoenixing nicely. Uh, well, well you, know, you, got, you, got, you got Sandy and Greg. You got Sandy and Greg back Thank saying, "Oh, you got to fix this shit." You know. Well, uh, yeah, but yeah, I agree. Kickstarting can be challenging at times, but I mean, I just got to remember it's a cognitive bias. Like, I have 717 backers right now, and we still got 22 days left, and those are all wonderful people and it's the overwhelming majority of this red markets community we're building and it, part of us is this RPPR community so yeah there's a neck beard in there too you mean they're not sitting there telling you you should do it like this and you oh, no, should there do are it many, like that. there are many people doing that but like they are oh. overwhelmingly the minority like, okay you have good to good that my brain is, and my brain and your brain is going to pick up on negative more than positive as an evolutionary bias. So yeah. 770 is a big I've only had two people and two Kickstarters be any kind of a problem. Two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now they stand out because, you know, they made, they made me sad in the pants, but, you know, and hurt my feelings and all that kind of good stuff. But, uh, you know, only two out of, you know, well over, close to a thousand people who have backed. You know, two different projects. Yeah, and I'm not gonna let that stuff get me down because, like, oh, this no, other no, no, no. positive. No, I'm, right. I'm not saying to let them get you down. I'm just saying it's just funny. I, this thing I see from Kickstarter, you get all these people who are like, I just think it's hilarious because they're like, oh, you should do this and you should do that, and then usually I inevitably jump in. I'm like, hey, you know what? If you don't like the product they're they're giving you, and you wanted to do it a different way, do your own Kickstarter. 
that's why there's that's why there's Kickstarter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's and, what, um, uh, with red markets, I've had like a peculiar problem in that most of that stuff, uh, which is, happens in every Kickstarter, in this case is like really political because you say the word economic, like so. Uh, I am simultaneously oh dear. Uh, a libertarian, fascist, communist, hippie, authoritarian. Like it's like I'm every dot on the spectrum. Uh, you're, what, you're whatever they don't like. Yeah, I'm whatever they don't like. Yeah. Uh, or I'm like trying to cause the revolution. And so, like that—that's that—that's difficult. Like, I'm gonna try and cause a revolution with my role-playing game. That's yeah. what's gonna get the people to rise up. Finally, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the means of production. It was <laughs> yes. The right, workers back, must back, control the dice. Matt, back to, back to some more questions because people want to hear answers to things. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I mean, if you want to do it, the rambling for five hours talk show. This is not role-playing public radio. Okay. We only. <laughs> oh, oh, shots fired. Uh, Okay. Uh, we, 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 we only ramble for two hours, okay? We don't go, you know, we don't go. Um, no, Let's see um, here. How about, yeah. um, uh, how long oh, does let this... Let me mix it up a little bit. Um, you're, you already kind of said how long you've been working on the game, right, uh, Caleb? You you said you've been through, like, like, a few iterations already. And how long have you been doing this, like, uh, working on it, developing it, changing it, uh, playtesting it? Uh, well, I wrote two books, and I did three freelancing jobs while I was working on it. So uh, it's about three and a half years now. Uh, we did a, we've did we done something called RPPR, Game Designers Workshop, where we chronicle the whole development of the game. So uh, basically, on June 30th, 2013, I went over to Ross's house, and we recorded an episode about this idea I had. Um, and we've been recording episodes ever since as the game developed. Uh, so that's how long I've been working on Red Markets. So we've gone through seven alphas and three beta tests at this time point. Um, so I've been I've been slugging away at it for a long time in a lot of different forms. So okay, very good. And also, um, what did you see missing from other like uh, zombie or post-apocalyptic uh, role-playing games that this game will provide? And I think we may have covered that kind of covered that already, but. Let's specifically focus on like what did you see was like hey you know what these games well apparently the economic uh, factor is is uh, is the, the biggest thing that I see just from yeah. our discussion so far. Um, so our second episode of that podcast I mentioned was called Research, and that's where I spent about three months just reading everything I could, especially RPGs, because you know I'm familiar with the concept of a heartbreaker. I didn't want to make all flesh must be eaten or outbreak you know, redux and do the same thing uh, that those fine designers have already done. Um, and so I went searching for mechanics that could do what I wanted to talk about and maybe hack. Um, so the closest I got to was Gumshoe because that point spend system and the way you gamble before the roll is very much the risk-reward kind of anxiety I want from a game about economics. But um, the thing I realized that finally made me make a new system, a new dice mechanic uh, for Red Markets is that every single game, everything, every board game, RPG, card game has a currency. Uh, it's got a currency. And in RPGs, it's usually multiple currencies because you have your gold points or your credits or whatever your currency is in the setting, but then you'll also have experience points or skill points or investigative points or in uh, something more story-oriented in an aspect or a dissociated mechanic that's like a pay-to-win thing that's very limited. And the thing uh, that I noticed about all those games is that you have all these currencies, but they very rarely have exchange rates. They very rarely interact in the setting, and they very rarely do anything about the setting. So if I kill a bunch of orcs, I learn Elvish. 
because I got the experience points and I spend it on that. There's no paying some guy to help you tutor you in Elvish. So when I designed Red Markets, I designed it so that there is one currency in the game, and it is the currency that the characters need to stay alive. So you get Bounty, which is the uh, standard credit unit that the government is willing to pay for proof of death so they can seize that person's assets when the reclamation comes. Um, so basically, uh, they made this system so that the the peasants wouldn't rise up and take down the remaining United States that ensured their personal property value while still getting census information they desperately needed. But in the mistake of doing that, they gave a monopoly of this currency to the people that hated them because they left them behind to die, which is bounties in the pockets of shambling dead guys. Um, so you basically use dead people's IDs as currency in the game, and bounty fuels everything in red markets. So if you want to buy skill points, that's time to practice. If you're using a gun, that's ammo to practice with the gun. Uh, oil, things to maintain it, none of that is free. Uh, you also have to feed your family so you don't go crazy because you watched your kids die or your brother uh, you know, get eaten or something like that because he couldn't pay rent. Um, you've got to pay into your skill points. You've got to buy your gear. Your gear has an upkeep cost, so once you buy an axe, it's not just an axe. You have to pay to sharpen it. You have to have time to practice with it so you can use it in a life-death situation. You have to replace the handle. You have to redo the haft. Even if that's not physical things, even if that's things you scavenge, that's an opportunity cost in economic terms because those are times you're not spent doing other things that earn you bounty. Um, so on the red markets character sheet there is one currency it is bounty it is the thing your character does to stay alive and if you want to up skills or up stats in, in my game they're called potentials if you want to buy more gear if you want to heal healthcare is not free if you want to heal mentally time off isn't free everything costs bounty there is a single currency uh you make it or you don't uh Red Markets has no qualms about killing you off screen as you die in the street and your <laughs> family gets thrown out of the enclave because they can't pay the rent. You start off every session in the hole, um, and the goal is to keep your overhead low enough that you can actually profit from your job, save up and get out, um, while not so low that you don't have what you need to survive when you're out there. Or, yeah, and if you zero out, all you do is tread water until you're no longer physically fit to do this dangerous shit anymore, and then you're, and then you're gone. Yeah, or you just get unlucky. Or, like, yeah. one guy hides a bite in the enclave, and, like, your whole world burns down. Or, yeah. you know, you get diphtheria, and no one has anthi You know, there's no such thing as treading water. You're getting out, or you're dying. Uh, that's it. Yeah. All right. Um, I noticed oh, oh, one of the things I was going to say earlier was about uh, you know sort of the uh, the mechanics of this. It seems like you know Jared and I are both old school grognards who think that um, mechanics should be very game mechanics should be very individualized to uh, modeling particular genres. So that there should be a specific type of mechanic for a detective game, and you should use a different type set of mechanics for a uh, fantasy you know. D and D style game. No, no, Scott, you're wrong. D twenty works for every game genre. Yeah. Come on. It, it works so well in Call of Cthulhu. Anyway, it, wor it worked perfectly. I'm a 15th level librarian. Come on. <laughs> so, um, regardless, you know, uh, it seems like you've definitely gone with that school. You wanted to keep, you wanted a a uh, a set of mechanics that actually force in that force the genre. I mean, you know, by having one thing be just 
you know, sort of this this bounty being your your ability to heal, your ability to learn new skills, your ability to recover mentally, uh, representing abstractly, obviously, the pursuit of all these things. Um, it seems like you you come down on the side of that. Uh, this is not a mechanic that would necessarily work in uh, another genre, a, a detective thriller, a, a Wild West thriller, or whatever, uh, Wild West adventure, or a fantasy setting. Um, it seems like you come down very hard on the side of that. You know, the mechanics uh, need to be very specialized to the genre. Uh, yeah, I, I've definitely done my best to design the system, and why I've done 10 iterations is I want to make it as thematically whole and consistent as possible. So um, on the, you can actually look at some of the dice mechanics on the Kickstarter. I'm, I put them up in updates so that are not backer-locked, so anyone can read them. Um, but the basic dice mechanic of Red Markets is you have a black D10 and a red D10. Uh, so uh, you're going to roll both at once. Um, and he, the way it works is that you want to be in the black. If your black number is higher than your red number, you win. If your red number is equal to or uh, higher than your black number, you're in the red, which is a failure. Um, now, the way you get there on this very swingy dice mechanic is things you can add to the black are your skills. Uh, so your skill gets added to the black number to make it higher. Um, and then you can also use your equipment. You can spend charges from your equipment, like batteries on, an, uh, uh, on a laptop or rounds from a gun or extra morphine from a first aid kit. That's the use of your uh, equipment, and you can spend that to add your chances of success. Um, but the problem is it's a very swingy mechanic, and you need to spend all those charges and use those skills before the roll. Um, so you're still increasing oh, your... Oh, so no, so no backdating the result. No backdating the result. Uh, and if you spend all the charges and it turns out the dice say you didn't need to, well, that's just your hard luck. And guess what? I wrote, uh, you know, a billion things of ad copy and press releases and did all sorts of stuff for the Kickstarter. ABC News has something about freaking red markets is in its inbox. And I'm doing okay and I didn't need to do any of that work and that cost me hours and hours out of my time I couldn't write a book and that's the that's economics so like you yeah. have to gamble on it you have to spend to make um, so and additionally with the black tens and the red tens uh, what the market is going to do it's not going to be opposed the characters already generating their difficulty number every time they roll so when the market rolls it's to randomly generate stuff so when the market rolls the GM they roll black and red and black's the number of zombies in their room, and red is how far away they are. Or if they okay. roll damage, black is the how damaged it hurts, and red is the hit location. Or if they're trying to see what a good is, black is demand, and red is supply, and you can generate a supply-demand curve. So there's a ton of information uh, and, and random encounters and things you can generate uh, as the GM using that same dice mechanic. But you will only ever use those two D10s. You will never have to roll more than that. And the only thing that matters in the profit system is if you make profit. Uh, are you in the black or are you in the red? It's never more complicated than is this number higher than this number. So. One, last, one last question about uh, uh, skill uh, improvement or even physical improvement. Um, you uh, you mentioned uh, that you know you you spend bounty to in order to have the time to practice with the weapon or whatever in order to get better at it. Yeah. Um, what about in-game successes? The one of the things I always enjoyed the most about the old BRP was your skills got better because you used them. If you didn't use them, 
they didn't get better. And I can certainly see where you would use, you know, sort of downtime off screen, not in an adventure, to spend bounty to raise a skill that you did not get to use out on a mission. But let's say you use skills like land navigation or you know, driving a vehicle or auto mechanic or what are the things were to get, you know, just out there on a run. What do you call the missions into the loss? There uh, well, there's two types. Uh, you can do a contract, which is your traditional scenario. Like the GM comes up with a job. They play an NPC client. You negotiate for how much it's going to go because it's never a flat rate. It's always up in the air and up to your character's skill to get the best price. Uh, and then you go out. And then there's also things called scores in which you don't have a client and you're basically cutting out the middleman and you're dealing in goods. So you're like, hey, there's this bicycle factory 25 miles away. You know what would be really useful in this apocalypse? Bicycles. So you get together. <laughs> you have been watching our show, haven't yeah, you? So you get together with this crew and you're like, we're going to go out there and we're going to raid this place and we're going to steal as many damn bicycles as we can get our hands on and we're just going to sell them for as much. So a score is a collaboratively designed scenario where actually all the players come up with what they're going to do and it's the GM or market's job to screw it up. Okay. Uh, using so, what is called the same shit, different day rule, meaning it never goes as you planned. Something is always going wrong, and it's a matter of you overcoming it. So what about uh, skill acquisition or skill improvement just because you're using the skill? Uh, I, that's not in the setting, and uh, here's my rationale why. I write a lot, and I like to think it makes me better, but if I'm being honest, I write a lot, and I probably am at a certain level in which writing is working for me because I'm getting published and stuff. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, I could go higher than that, but I haven't been pushed to do that. And times in my life in writing development has been when people have read my writing and say, you're full of shit, kid. This is crap, and just destroyed me. And it's, in fact, the failure that has improved me out with that. Um, and furthermore, when I invest time to do things, um, it's things I'm not usually good at. Like I'm trying to learn how I'm hiking now because I'm, you know, a fat game designer who's covered in Cheeto dust most hours of the day. Um, so I'm trying to do that, and that takes more time uh, out of my day. I, in fact, probably would improve faster if I disturbed my habits with different things. Um, and then finally, it's just not thematically appropriate to automatically get better at something. Um, so Red Markets does not have a linear progression curve. Your character can get worse. Uh, they often will in certain ways while they get better in some ways uh, because, you know, markets are in flux uh, in the same way as for skills. So. Okay, excellent. Um, Mr. Wallace, do you have a question you'd like to ask? Oh, he's Mr. muted Mr. Wallace honest. is now muted. Or at least he's silent. This has been a bad show for Mr. Wallace. He's got it muted. The mute is off. Speak, Wallace, speak. Bad dog. Nothing. Nothing. All right, well, with any luck, the, you and I, Caleb, are actually being recorded. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea if this is being recorded at this point. Um, Mr. Wallace will uh, we'll be attempting to fix that problem, and I will continue with the questions. All right. Um, uh, what were your primary uh, fictional inspirations, both uh, movies and films? Uh, okay, uh, so for me, uh, about the setting, uh, but uh, there are other things that like, so yeah, it's a very materialist game, but there's other things that inspired it. So like, I think you could tell uh, a different story using the profit system as long as it had a materialist focus and a focus on scarcity. So um, Roadside Picnic is a big uh, really? inspiration. Okay. Uh, 
you can't leave this town. No one is coming to help you survive in this town. The only resource you have in this town is your terror. Go farm it. Like, that's perfect for a profit system game. XCOM, um, yeah, we'll, we'll save you from the aliens, but we need you to pass a tax levy first. Like, you know, this kind of like, there's no such thing as like doing it for the cause of humanity. you, you got to pay the bills. Um, like, I always found that XCOM using a certain place ago, I'm not paying for this saving the world shit. And then <laughs> the next thing you know, they've all been absorbed by alien ovipositors, and I don't understand how anyone goes... You know, taxes, we're not having that around here. And, you know, there goes Chicago. Or, you know. Well, behavioral economics have shown us that Adam Smith was full of shit. And there's no such thing as a rational actor. Yeah. Human beings don't do the thing in their best interest. So There are plenty of emotional actors. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, like, zombie fiction, uh, the Rotten Ruin series and the Newsflesh trilogy, uh, Rotten mm -hmm. Ruins by Jonathan Mayberry and Newsflesh is by Mira Grant, they're both YA books, but they're actually pretty intelligent. Um, for the genre, and uh, they really deal with zombie apocalypse in unique ways. Uh, you know, zombies existing beforehand, and uh, Rotten Ruins specifically has, like, economies based around zombies. Um, the idea of the loss and the recession is from uh, VM Zito's The Return Man, which is about a guy who lives in these zombie apocalypse, and he's a closure artist, and what he does is he goes and kills specific zombies. Like, I don't like the thought of of Grandma running around there eating people. Go put her out of her misery. So he basically hunts single zombies in the wasteland uh, yeah. and films himself killing them so their relatives get, like, relief. Uh, yeah. And then they give him food, uh, which he's very happy to have. Uh, so uh, those, are, those are things. Um, the Girl with All the Gifts, uh, if you've ever read that by... Uh, Carrie, it's the guy who wrote the Lucifer comic and the Unwritten. Um, that is the best zombie novel I've read in years, uh, and it is fantastic. Uh, along with Colton Whitehead's uh, Year One, uh, and, and yeah, and stuff like that. So, um, all of which are very much focused on like uh, life must go on after the zombie, uh, but it doesn't negate their power. Um, so, yeah, those are my biggest influences, uh, are definitely uh, probably literary. Um, I have seen some good stuff, uh, on, like, not good, but, but relevant. Uh, there's a movie called D-Squad on Netflix that's about a partial zombie apocalypse, and there are a bunch of, like, convicts that are put into a, um, a government kill squad for zombies, and they just do zombie crime. And it's one of those found footage my movies uh, where they have an embedded journalist with it. Um, but my favorite part about D-Squad is they, they intersperse the movie with propaganda ads from the new government, which are, like, hilarious. It's like, sex, you should be having it. Breathe. <laughs> uh, do the one thing zombies can't do. Yeah, a large yeah. population is a strong population for America. Like, you know, that kind of... So uh, that sort of satirical element... Yeah, is, again, I'm going to bet really that like. the anti-abortionists are really thrilled with that future. <laughs> the guys yeah. who are complaining about all that condom use are like, condoms are now illegal! You have to go find a secret, you know, Margaret Sanger clinic to get a condom. Or maybe not on the grounds that it also keeps all that syphilis and gonorrhea and AIDS out of your population. So yeah. Maybe not. But, um, yeah, there won't be any IUDs in this future. That's not going to happen. No pill. <laughs> Pill's gone. Um, yeah, that's nasty. Um, uh, that's very good. Well, um, uh, for, you, you mentioned uh, gumshoe. 
uh, and the spend mechanics of Gumshoe as one of your uh, RPG inspirations. Um, uh, were there any others that you felt that, uh, that, that were really big in, in inspiring your, uh, your mechanics uh, for this? Uh, Wild Talents and uh, mm-hmm. pretty much anything from Ore is a real big uh, influence on me. Uh, I, I very much like uh, how that works, uh, especially in the way that it uh, generates, um, you know, hit locations and damage and a number of information using only one type oh, of Oh, uh, and for those who don't know, Ore is one roll engine. Yes, yeah, one roll engine. So that was a big influence on me. Um, and then, uh, I mean, there's some stuff, there's some dissociated mechanics you have. You have handles on your character called spots, which might be like aspects. So, you know, there's some a little bit of a fade element in there, though it's minimized. Um, your character is not a pretty snowflake who's going to survive on personality alone. Or, yeah, there's no such thing as, uh, there's no such thing as um, protagonist immunity. No, but uh, there is stuff that can help. So that's in there, and it kind of helps you inform your role-playing. So, uh, but definitely Ore and uh, definitely Gumshoe were big influences. When you mentioned charges, um, just another mechan- boring mechanics question. Are your charges for items um, more abstracted, or are we counting bullets? They're entirely abstracted. There is okay. no counting bullets. Uh, that would, in my, in my mind, it would for me personally, drain the fun out of the game. And even if it wouldn't for you, uh, I don't think it would do what the game's intended to do. So when um, Red Markets tries to represent costs, it represents it whenever it can in terms of opportunity cost. So charges are 10 abstract units because I don't care if you have like uh, AK-47 or a revolver or a Glock. You can count every bullet in there, but arguing you're going to have freaking perfect fire control while you're fighting a literal monster is ridiculous. So make it narrative anyway. Uh, and even, yeah, and even like trained professionals have like a 20% hit rating against the moving target, and that's not when they're seeking headshots. Like, you know, so it's purely abstracted in that regard. Um, and then regard like how much you can carry in encumbrance and how many reloads you have of those things, those are basically Schrodinger's reloads. So you have, a, you have a unit in the game called Refresh, and that's how many times you can refresh something out of your backpack. Refresh the charges. Yeah, yeah, refresh the charges. And it doesn't represent like you're the idiot that forgot to bring bullets in the zombie mechanics. You're the idiot that couldn't find bullets before you went out and you still had to go out. Like yeah. that's that represents you hustling off screen for the entire time you were off screen and not in the session uh, to get those bullets. So you spend your refresh, you have your charges, you don't have it, you don't have it. Um, okay. So yeah, everything's abstracted. So you're not going to... You're not going to bedouble your players with the kind of thing where, like, you found some shotgun shells, it's too bad you're carrying an AK-47. Um, yeah, if the yeah. player's finding something that's useful, it is just useful or it's not. Yes. And, and, and it's either a thing that's useful in the situation or it's just something for you to trip over. And well, in the game, you describe it as useful for your specific gear or bounty, and you say yes. what you're looking for. So, like, if okay. I find shotgun shells, I'm not sad. I'm like, yay, shotgun shells. <laughs> like I can sell those even yes. if I don't have a shotgun. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, now you're are you at the stage where you where you're going to be able to guarantee uh, a uh, the ability to buy this game uh, outside of the Kickstarter? Um, I mean, it sounds like the digital stuff through drive through and the print on demand 
that's a guarantee. But you're not sure right now whether or not you'll be able to get uh, uh, a print run and do standard distribution. Yeah, yeah, you can def you will definitely be able to buy the game when it's out. Uh, so it will be POD through uh, again drive through one bookshelf. Uh, yeah, one bookshelf uh, and all their uh, sister sites at a bare minimum. If we can do an offset, we'll look at stuff like IPR and mainline distribution and stuff, conventions, picking it up at a you know trad game shop, stuff like that. But um, speaking of economics, print runs are enormously expensive. <laughs> yes, yes, they are, sir. Uh, yes, you do not have to tell me. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, what's been the biggest challenge? Um, uh, uh, in 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 this entire project for you, uh, figuring out how to sell the game. I'm not mm -hmm. very good at that. Uh, you know, I don't get very discouraged when uh, like the the mechanics don't work because then I just play with my friends and I test it until it works. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I selling something is not something I'm totally used to. So like the ad copy stuff and the pitching and stuff's hard. Like you got to get some people over their zombie hatred. Uh, you got to get some people over their thinking you're a libertarian communist fascist monster. Yeah, yeah. There's that problem as well. Clearly, you're yeah. you're you're recruiting useful idiots for the upcoming Marxist Leninist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, each according to their own bounty. You know, okay. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I make those jokes in the text, but like, if yeah. anything, my book is like, it's not. It's not just pro-capitalist. It's omni-capitalist. Death dies, and capitalism is still okay. Like, <laughs> uh, like it is the. It is. It is very. It's a resilient uh, system. I'll give it, it that. Much. Yeah, it's yeah. Very, if anything, it's extremely counter-revolutionary because it yeah. calls it hopeless. Uh, so. Uh, but it is a game about, you know, horror in that regard. It's not necessarily calling that a good thing. So, um, so yeah, overcoming, like, people's political things and uh, concerns about the genre. Uh, th learning how to sell it has been my most difficult part. Do you think that this, um, you know, I'm thinking that the, the zombies, again, are definitely connected to um, our, our uh, 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 economic fears and our social fears, um, absolutely. Um, but a lot of what you're describing still sounds like, you know, it could be, a, it could, it could also be attached to any kind of, um, what did you call it, uh, unevenly distributed apocalypse. This, you could do this with an apocalypse setting, and I don't know that you'd be changing that much, um, how much would your mechanics change if you were doing this as a straight apocalypse like Mad Max or, you know, Boy and His Dog or something? Um, or or some, But still have the idea that this haves and have-nots in this world. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing about a Mad Max sort of economy is that um, it's going to be difficult to have a currency uh, mm. on which the system runs, um, although you could do that. Um, so uh, the thing about the profit system, it's not... Uh, it's not meant to be solely for zombies. I'd like to expand it in other settings, uh, but it is very much for uh, apocalypses that uh, are partial. Um, yeah. Because in many ways, post-apocalypse is a term of privilege. That means it's not getting worse. Uh, <laughs> like, and you know what? It is the post-apocalypse for the people in the recession. It's the 
right now apocalypse for you living out there. Um, like post-apocalypse denotes your privilege and that kind of thing. So you, you need some haves and have-nots, and you need a very materialist focus. And not that it's like just bean counting, but like behavioral economics are a thing. My lack of health care causes me mental distress. Uh, you know, my lack of means costs me relationships. You can tell very human stories uh, that are based on the sort of logistical oh. realities of your life. Uh, and because I've been steeped in it lately with the, you know, um, everything that was going on with uh, uh, the Delta Green game design that um, uh, was going on, um, the... Does bounty allow you to sort of? Uh, does bounty is something that allows you to uh, sort of? I don't know. Buy and retain things like a relationship, like you know the the fact that your character has kids. Uh, do those provide pluses and minuses uh, to the character so that they're they're they if they have a support system of a family that they need that now they need more upkeep. But somehow that provides having those wife and kids provides any kind of mechanical bonus for, you know, the guy not turning into a crazy, bone-gnawing maniac who has nothing to live for and has a death wish and so goes out into the loss, you know, that sort of thing. Is there Are there benefits to uh, trying to build a real life? Oh, definitely. Uh, so in the game, you have to have what's called dependents, which are people in your life that aren't takers. They aren't crazy and going over the wall. They're the people you're doing it for. Um, and what they do mechanically, in addition to like giving you something to role-play with when you have vignettes with them, very similar to Delta Green, uh, is that they heal your humanity. Like they, And that's what my sanity system's called. It's called humanity. I don't like the idea of I see a zombie and now I have schizophrenia. You gotta have one family member go through schizophrenia for that to like skis you out. Uh, but to say that poverty is not a rife fertilized field for madness is also equally yeah. disingenuous. Um, so you keep your dependents alive and you feed them with capital, even if it's capital of your time, which if you're poor enough is money like anything else, um, because they heal your humanity far more efficiently than you can by just spending money on it. Uh, and humanity is very similar to um, like the first edition of Unknown Armies. There's different tracks. Uh, so Got it. You you have threats called detachment, which is your ability to see humans as other something other than like appointments for future tragedy. Uh, <laughs> uh, trauma, which is oh my god, I'm going to be eaten alive, uh, or you know, insane violence or explosions and stuff. And then there's also stress, which is everything else. Like the pantries are bare. I'm not going to make mint rent this much. Uh, you know, I've wasted my life. What happened? You know, these sort of existential concerns. Um, and you've got to you've got to manage that because that's what happens to you if you tread water. That degrades because you're doing this horrible, awful player character lifestyle job, and eventually it will just make you an NPC uh, in terms of like how awful you are. Or you will be uh, taking an exit of the from the game one way or the other. I'm getting the distinct message that you found Call of Cthulhu and Delta Green far too upbeat and cheerful, and it ne <laughs> and needed to slap those games in the dick to show them what real misery <laughs> and real horror and terror uh, were all about. I'm not a lot, not not at all. But I just think you missed this one part around money. Uh, I think all the other misery and stuff in those games is great, and I definitely wanted to use that too. I just wanted to put some, you know, empty wallet fear into it. 
Well, I, I have empty wallet fear in my real life, so I need something. You know, I was I felt much more comfortable with something that's just going to suck out my eyes and you know <laughs> tap dance on my brain and make balloon animals out of my intestines. That was that was sort of a you know that was taking a burden off. Oh, thank God, I've been dismembered. I don't have another house payment to make. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and playtesters kind of mentioned that, and we realized that like if this game is hard, harder or in any way more nihilistic than that, because it's not. Uh, I love Delta Green, and I'm never going to approach how awesome that is. Uh, but um, if it is, it's because there's hope. Like, there is that one taker that made it out and lives in a mansion now. And, you know, he lived his life. And, like, that's the knife that cuts your throat, that hope. You know what? The thing about fatalism is that you can be, you, can be, you know, your Kafka-esque hero fighting against our, our Camus-esque hero fighting against a meaningless universe and making it mean something through your own personal perspective. Uh, but the thing about uh, being poor is that no matter what the circumstances are, someone, and that someone's probably going to be you, is always blaming you for being poor. It's always your fault. It's always your failing, uh, at least in a very American Western ideology. And, uh, and, and yeah. one, one other question about that. Um, it sounds like, as far as the rules that this society, such as it exists, has developed for getting ahead, for getting bounty, um, that if you do follow the rules and do not stray beyond the bounds of civilization's requirements, you'll never get ahead. You will just tread water. You have to go outside the rules that are accepted, or you will not make the score. You will not get to keep the bounties that you tried to earn. It sounds like it's that uh, it, 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 this, it, this system that these people are living in is telling them, oh, you just have to work hard to get ahead. You just have to do these things to get ahead. You'll get ahead as long as you can survive out there in the loss. But maybe the real monsters aren't in the loss. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a totally fantastical part of the setting. I couldn't be inspired from anything in real life for that because, you know, yeah. God knows our own CEOs and bankers are just saints of men that, you know, I believe the term you're looking for job creators. They're, they <laughs> yeah, they're job job cre yeah, they do everything right. And, uh, yeah, you just, you just, you're too dumb and lazy, but them, they, they dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's. So that's why they're, that's they're why they're better rich. than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you said better than you, richer than you, same difference. And, yeah. One and the same. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. All right. Uh, I am, I am, not surprised by that at all. Um, <laughs> all right, we're wrapping up. I think that's all we've. Uh, I think we've exhausted our list of questions. Uh, sadly, Mr. Wallace has has been is. Uh, I don't know. Can you, Jared? I'm sorry. Jared, can you can you uh, at least uh, blow up your picture to fill the screen so we can have you give the give the nice people in, on the internet the finger for having been well, cut off. Well, it's not registering his mic, so it won't switch. Oh, my God, he can't hear. This is ridiculous. All right. <laughs> oh, there he is. That's, yay! Hey. That's what we wanted. That's what we wanted. All right, well, then we're done here. Um, uh, I will uh, I will sign off. This is the first time I've ever done this. I get to sign off for podcast at Ground Zero. This is always Jared's job, but I will say, all right, uh, I am Adam Bomb Glancy, and uh, here with Caleb Stokes for Red Markets, uh, here on episode 58 of uh, Podcast at Ground Zero. My my silent partner is Mr. Uh, Jared Apocalypse Nerd Wallace, who's apparently trapped in a box. Yeah, he's got a, a box. got a pin and teller thing going now. 
<laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, Michelle Wallace <laughs> one says, be socially responsible and share. If you, you know, like it on uh, YouTube, like it on Facebook, uh, listen to us on iTunes. We are found in all these places. And uh, we will see you in the wasteland. <laughs>